Hello, everybody. How you doing? Hope all is well. Welcome to another lecture. And today we're going to be discussing our final take-home set of exercises. I want to provide a little bit of elaboration, maybe give us some examples and a little bit of guidance. We had some questions on this, so I'm more than happy to talk a little bit about it and hopefully it's helpful. So our final exercise has four parts and I do ask that you please address all four. That being said, let's start with a conversation of part one. So in part one, we're talking about meditation defined as the practice of dialogue with oneself. And we get this great reference from Antisthenes provided by Pierre Hadot in his book, Philosophy as a Way of Life, where this uh, Antisthenes was Socrates' student. When he was asked about what profit or what he gained from philosophy, he said, the ability to converse with myself. So ultimately with this uh, section, right, this prompt, I'm asking you to consider the physical spaces in your life that might encourage this type of thinking, right? Kind of thinking back to our last lecture about leisure, right? The notion that leisure involves knowing the self, forming the self, asking life's big questions, and it's constructive, right? It's not doing nothing. In fact, it's doing something very important. It's working on our ability to establish a sense of purpose in life, to evaluate our beliefs, to establish and evaluate and examine our goals, right? So all these things are really important. So where do you go to do this? And of course, this could be really anywhere. This could be a private space, a public space. And of course, as always, feel free to include only what you feel comfortable including, right, in terms of details. But it could be a place in your home. It could be a desk. It could be a certain window with a nice view. Or it could be a public space. Or it could be a park, a beach. It could be a certain part of your, uh, let's say, uh, commute to work or from school. Right? So we're, ma we're matching here the physical with the philosophical as a way to see philosophy as a way of life. Right. So when we start seeing the world around us as a place that is conducive to practicing meditation, I think and I hope and believe that we'll start practicing meditation more. And of course, part one, in a way, connects to part four, right, which we'll talk about in a couple minutes. But let's first grapple with how, why, when, where we practice this idea of meditation. So, of course, I ask that you describe a little bit. Right. Describe the space. What about it provokes this type of thinking? And also I say, if you don't necessarily have a space right now, how could you maybe establish one? And let's even think this is some Da Vinci type thinking, right? Let's think about the senses. What smells, sights, feels, tastes, right? What might, you know, would or might encourage this type of meditation. So for me, I need coffee. Even the smell of coffee gets me thinking, right? And we, of course, as we always do have questions in this section for Epictetus, a philosopher, I'm sure a number of us will reference in our final for him. Questions are the engines of reason. They get us thinking and they help us think more clearly and more effectively, right? So for me, you start, not you, maybe you do, I don't know, but I start my day with coffee because it gets me going, right? And it gets me thinking in ways that are meaningful and profound. And that helps me, for example, with my daily meditation. And I recently moved my meditative space in my apartment is my kitchen counter. The lighting is very good. I have my coffee either brewing and I smell that and that gets me going or I have coffee right here and I could drink it and that helps me think and focus and concentrate. I like how the counter feels. I like that I can stand or I can sit. It's kind of like a little bit higher. So we have higher chairs for sitting on it and it's a good height where I can also stand and write, which I often do in the morning. There's a great window in my kitchen. I'm very fortunate. I'm on the fifth floor. So I've got a nice kind of sun that will come through 
or, you know, I go to work early now, so it'll start to rise a little bit maybe if I'm running late, and that's nice. I like how the counter feels. I like the lighting. There's a couple, like, lamps hanging from the ceiling that are very nice. So these are all things that I, I've actually considered, and I've realized that, for example, I've tried to do my daily writing on our kitchen table. didn't stick. So tune into these particulars, to these details. They're meaningful. Again, sights, smells, sounds. And I ask that too, because maybe especially if you know, you're looking to integrate a space, what could you add to a space that you currently have? Maybe you add a little music. Maybe it's on a speaker. Maybe it's in headphones. And that makes the space more pleasant and more conducive to meditation. Maybe you have a walking habit. That's still you moving through space. You know, Unless you're practicing a profoundly philosophical life, you probably don't have this type of meditative experience when you walk everywhere. So maybe there's something about that specific space Maybe even time of day, we can include that temporal space, right? Um, that encourages this. So let's get into the details, and hopefully some of those examples uh, were helpful. But ultimately, that's that's the main part of this uh, of this inquiry, right? And I also ask that you reference our book, The Bibliotherapy, to support the philosophical connection to the space, right? So, for example, I would look in our bibliotherapy. Um, in regards to another space, let's go to a public space for a moment here, right? One of the great ideas from Epictetus we get is that we should focus on our main duty, right? So whenever I get a haircut, which is usually every two to three weeks because I have a great relationship with my barber and I feel like I have to see him, um, he currently is cutting hair or he was cutting hair in a neighborhood that I spent some time growing up in, right? So when I go past certain homes, when I go past, past certain blocks, I used to walk by Right, and just for I don't know where we're all from, but this is in Pelham Bay, right? So this is kind of that Crosby Bure um, area under the six train. When I walk in that area, I'm reminded of my main duties in life because it reminds me of certain people in my family, it reminds me of certain formative moments. So for me, getting a haircut, which getting a haircut in general is very therapeutic, right? You always feel great after a haircut, like you can conquer the world, always, right? I couple it with a, usually a little bit of a walk. I don't just go straight to the barbershop. And the reason for that is profoundly connected to this, right? So I would be able to pull in Epictetus, the idea that I go to this space, it reminds me of what I need to focus on, just for one example, right? It reminds me of other, let's even for a moment go into, um, go into part three, just because we're flowing here a little bit, right? So part three asks that we highlight mantras. So when I go to Pelham Bay, I could think of mantras because the people um, who I would walk through these spaces with provided mantras, right? So one of my mantras I would say is siga siga, which is a Greek phrase and it means little by little, right? So as we have here, a mantra is a short phrase that serves the purpose of a powerful reminder to pursue a flourishing life, right? That can be repeated on a daily basis, okay? As Epictetus tells us, there are short phrases to ease our soul's suffering that help us distinguish between wholesome and lazy, hurtful beliefs and habits, and help us to understand the art of living a good life. So for me, Siga Siga really helps with that because I have a tendency to get ahead of myself. I have a tendency to put too much pressure on myself, to try to rush myself, rush the world. And when I think of Siga Siga, I connect it to my grandfather, who was always very kind and encouraging generally. But also this was one of his main pieces of advice for me specifically. Right, so our mantras, just to elaborate on this a little bit, can and should hopefully influence us in that type of way, that type of spiritual development, right? And now, of course, to connect 
from one to three, we're talking about the virtue of patience. You can maybe look at the bibliotherapy, look at the Enchiridion by Epictetus, see where he's saying about the dinner party metaphor, right? To behave in life as if we're at a dinner party, to be patient, to take in moderation, to enjoy what's in front of us instead of staring at the kitchen door waiting for the dessert and starving because we're not enjoying the entree or we're not even eating the entree. So the main thing with the mantras is that we explain our why and our how. So why is this important? Was I, I need siga siga. My mantra I'm giving as an example because I need to chill. I need to relax. I need to stop pressuring myself. How do I use it? Well, I use it pretty much every day. I remind myself of that periodically. And I really use it more powerfully when I feel myself in a rush. And by rush, I don't mean like I'm going to be late to work. I mean larger type of a larger type of rushing, right? I want things to be going a certain way in life. Things that, that are out of my control specifically. I have to remind myself things happen little by little. Or also I use this to elaborate on my how a little bit. When I have a really large task, I break it down into 10 or 15 minute chunks of focused time, little by little. I don't focus on the task, I focus on the time, little by little. And that mantra centers me and it gives me a focus. Right, so for part three, I ask that you choose, or you could create your own, of course, um, mantras and explain them. And again, they can come from our bibliotherapy directly. They can come from a family member as mine just did. They can come from a movie, a song, a book, whatever. The key is to connect it to some type of philosophical development. So I kind of jumped around there, but I hope we're clearer now on part one and part, part three. Let's take a look at part two, right? So I love this idea. For Epictetus, philosophy was a form of therapy, and he viewed his school as, quote, a hospital for reasonable creatures frustrated from unreasonable desires and expectations. So right there, you have the answers, right, to an extent, or potential responses to this. Unreasonable desire is a pathology. Unreasonable expectations, another pathology. So I ask that you identify what we might consider, or what you might consider to be, two common philosophical ailments that may characterize a person's life. Of course, this can be you, but please do not think it has to be. You could write in the third person. You could even talk about humanity in general from your perspective. And I ask that you analyze the elements, kind of define them in your own terms. So what is impatience to you? What is imbalance to you? What is irrational anger to you? Why is it a problem? How might these pathologies manifest themselves in the ways we think, feel, and act? How does it affect the person embodying the pathology? How might it impact the people around them? And of course, what we want to do, especially sticking to what Epictetus offers, is we're going to use the bibliotherapy to try to cure some of these pathologies. Right, so maybe just one example that comes to mind quickly for me is this idea from the Stoics that we have to focus on what we can control. It is a patho it's a very common pathology, I would say, that we suffer as a result of not acknowledging what is in our control and what is out of our control. That's number one from the Enchiridion, just sticking with that because it's on my mind now. But that's a great antidote that you could present to someone and then act as if you're advising them, right? So we can think about this almost as a, as a form of philosophical practitionership. If you were advising a friend or if you had, again, a hospital or let's say a philosophy hospital for, you know, 
for the sake of sticking with Epictetus's idea. How would you use number one? Integrate into your response to demonstrate to someone that they're causing, maybe, right? They're causing themselves more suffering than need be. And I even provide that example in a similar way, right? What would Epictetus suggest to someone overly concerned with their grade on this paper? The grade's out of your control. What's in your control is the effort you put forth, the time, the focus, the attention. And ironically, the hardest sentence to write of a paper is, of course, the first. It's because you're afraid of failing, right? I, do, I deal with this all the time as a student and even writing emails, right? But once we get out of our own way, we can actually start writing. Once we stop caring about what the other person might think, we're out of our own way because we're focusing on what we can control. That creates the way. So we go back to the bibliotherapy and we're looking for antidotes. And again, I, I really would suggest using our chapter titles here quite simply, right? On love and relationships, a lot of pathologies there we can think of. On fear and confidence, a lack of confidence is a pathology. Go to that chapter, see what you can get to support it. How would you guide yourself or a good friend or a loved one towards greater confidence using something from that chapter? Picking two, we're analyzing them both, trying to give antidotes to both. Now let's go to part four. So part four, this is from Michel Foucault. This is a great idea from his book, Hermeneutics of the Subject. Philosophy is a set of principles and practices available to one or which one makes available to others for taking proper, proper care of oneself or of others. We all need a practice in life. A number of your papers have remarked on some of the similarities a number of you see with psychology, theology, right, and philosophy. All of these and other, other like modes of thinking, being, right, are ways to give us practices to help us ease our own suffering and help us offer care to others. So that's what this part four is. It's basically a request on my part that you adopt a practice for at least seven days straight. This is when you dive into our on daily or frequent philosophical practices chapter, or you go to Blackboard and look at our self-writing guide. In my opinion, those are great starting points. And of course you can look elsewhere um, as long as you provide citations. But I do think the, the chapter on daily or frequent practices is great. I have a lot of suggestions there from Pierre Hadot's book, Philosophy as a Way of Life. Um, there's also on the podcast other lectures about our practices and the options we have, right? So you're choosing one. So quite simply, we could say, um, let's go with the description of the Hupnamata that Foucault offers, right? So just to give you a brief overview, and again, this is described more in depth in our book, in the practice chapter and also in that episode of the, of the podcast. But just for the sake of this lecture, right? It's a collection of quotes that you make for yourself from various and deliberately diverse sources, right? So by that, I mean, you could have on the same page a quote from a movie, a quote from uh, a song, a quote from our book, something your friend said, and you're collecting them through self-writing in a place consistently. Maybe it's a notebook. Maybe it's just a bunch of pieces of paper. I've done both, right? I, I'm big on writing, but I do suggest a notebook as a practice. Um, and this is a great practice to use in a notebook. So you collect these quotes and you have to construct your own aim. The aim generally is to shape yourself, right? So in my practice of this, I rarely had, well, let's put it this way. I had more quotes as will, will have already been clear as a result of this lecture, right? Encouraging myself to relax, to enjoy the simple things, right? To slow down. Then I would have quotes 
encouraging myself to take action because I need more of the former and less of the latter. I need reminders to slow down. I need reminders to not be hard on myself. So that's what my hypnomata was. Again, Siga Siga was a part of that hypnomata. Enjoying the day, not worrying so much about the future, not planning so much, not creating negative images of the future that are catastrophic and unnecessarily um, exaggerated. So my hypnomata might look different than someone else's. And honestly, in all honesty, it really would, right? There might be some similarities, of course, but ultimately this is an opportunity to kind of practice the collection of quotes. And then you go back, you read the quotes, you examine the quotes, you meditate on the quotes, you add more, you maybe discuss them with others, right? This is reading. And this is really works nice with our last lecture, reading as a form of meditation, writing as a form of meditation. When you're writing, maybe you are listening to some instrumental music, or as I said, you're listening to music in a language you don't understand, or you're in silence. All of these kind of come together, these meditative elements in the practicing of the self-writing. And the Hupnamata is just one example of that. And I think the quotes and the collection of quotes can be powerful, right? Foucault refers to them as a collected treasure. So this becomes a book that you write in on a daily basis and that you read um, what you wrote previously on a daily basis. And you could even think of interesting ways to organize this, right? Maybe you have a section and a lot of notebooks too have numbers, which is great. I'm a huge fan of notebooks with uh, numbered pages. So maybe one section is just patience quotes. The next section, you could have confidence quotes. Taking what's useful for you, that if you read it, it'll remind you of something good. It'll encourage something good in you. And as I hopefully established in that last lecture, the practice alone of reading something healthy, on a daily basis, consuming something healthy to use Thich Nhat Hanh's idea of consumption, right? If we schedule that and if we stick to it with discipline, it might have some spiritual, emotional, and intellectual, maybe even physical benefits for us. So you go back to that chapter on practices, maybe you choose the Hypnomata, start collecting quotes, start reading them every day, see how you feel. Start searching for quotes, listen to songs in a different way, watch movies in a different way. Maybe even ask the people around you for their best pieces of advice. Write that down. A collected treasure of ideas is potentially very significant. Then we cultivate a relationship with that by rereading and meditating on these ideas. So I asked again, maybe you adopt that or something else. Maybe it's Epictetus, right? You know, you're a to-do list in the morning every day, but don't stop there. Cultivate a sense of purpose with each task. Think about why you're doing the task. Write a couple sentences. Maybe even write a couple words, but don't just leave the to-do list empty. The task has to be filled with meaning. You have to make that meaning. Then a night for Epictetus, you come home, you reflect. How'd you do? We're cultivating spiritual, intellectual, physical accountability with ourselves. We're guiding ourselves in life in a more, let's say, discernible and methodical way. That's got to be useful, right? So my hope with this practice is that you choose, or this assignment, you choose a practice. You talk about why you chose it, where you got it from, the different elements of it then actually practice it for seven days and reflect on the practice. How did it go? Did you get more patient? Did you find that, let's say, you were less easily provoked into a state of uh, nervousness or fear or anger, what have you, right? Of course, as always, right, don't feel like you have to include the actual journal itself or anything that you might deem to be too personal. You can really take a kind of a bird's eye view of this and describe it generally and also describe the practice in great detail. And then closing, right, Will you continue the practice? Did you find it beneficial or not? 
And feel free to say no, right? The point isn't that you like what you chose necessarily, although, although that would be nice. The point is that you try something and hopefully we establish that any sort of practice that connects to philosophy, this idea of meditation, knowing yourself, crafting yourself. Of course, this could also involve serving others, right? As I'm hoping the class has highlighted the importance of that as well. Um, is meaningful and helpful. So maybe you have to change a little bit of the practice. Initially, you can make it your own. Maybe you want to do this in the morning, maybe at night, maybe in the middle of the day. Really feel free to make it your own and reflect on it honestly. And if maybe, let's say, you want to change some things, include somewhat of an action plan. All right, you know what? I didn't like this part. I like this part. Here's what I'm going to do moving forward. And again, you could, for the two texts you have to quote here, go right back to on daily or frequent philosophical practices, go right back to self-writing guide, use that as one of your sources. Or again, potentially both of your sources, right? Then I would say, let's say you want to do a seven days practice where you're writing, you want to be more confident, combine the on daily or frequent philosophical practices chapter with some quotes and ideas from the on fear and confidence chapter. There you go. Maybe you want to practice healthier communication with your friends, sibling, significant other, whoever, right? And you could create a practice where you monitor that. Am I being healthy in word? Am I listening attentively? So you combine the on relationships and love chapter with the on daily or frequent philosophical practices chapter. Maybe you want a clearer sense of purpose. Sit every day with your sense of purpose using a framework from the practices chapter. Then of course, go back to the chapter on crafting or pursuing purpose. Grab something from that. And on the assignment, I have a lot of questions to help you out with this, right? What qualities did you, want, did you work to develop during your practice? Why those qualities? Again, qualities meaning patience, confidence, attentiveness. How was the process of making time and space to include the practice? How did you feel before, during, and after each day of the practice? Do you think it impacted the way you think, act, or feel on a regular basis? Did it shift any of your perspectives? You don't have to answer all of these, right? You could, but you could really, for example, let's say you shifted a perspective. Go and talk about that the whole time after you describe the practice. Did it change the way you interact with others? That's a great potential out outcome of this. I was more patient, so I was, ni I was nicer to people. They responded well to that. Then, of course, as I already said, right, why would you continue this practice? Why or why not? So I hope this was helpful. Um, again, feel free to reach out with any other emails, but I want to get this out to everybody. Um, provide a little bit of elaboration and a few examples in the hopes that it might be useful. So thank you for listening. I look forward to reading the papers.